This is episode 47 of the Soul of Sensitivity podcast. I'm your host, Anna Holden, the resident intuitive healer and witch at SensitivityUncensored.com. Each new and full moon, I bring you the voices of sensitive, empathic, and creative pioneers starting conversations to lift up the voices of sensitive souls who have a piece of the solution to help all of us evolve out of the limiting patriarchal structures that bind us and start to create a new world that values us all. This is the Soul of Sensitivity. Hi there, and welcome back to the show. Welcome back for part two of the Cult of Positivity and Positivity Washing. Um, This uh, intro is also recorded on Friday, July 5th, so um, nothing has changed. I'm not going to add anything much here. I want to just let you jump right back into the conversation that Suki and I are having. If you've been breaking up these two episodes, I'll just give you a reminder about where we are. We had started talking about... Um, how the, the, you know, the washing of our emotions, what's, you know, only allowing for what is good and positive and happy um, is kind of akin to, um, you know, colonialism and these puritanical views um, about, you know, what is civilized. And so I had kind of gone on a little rant about um, forest management and how, you know, this idea that we know what's best, that that civilized people know what's best for something that's wild is really ridiculous. And we, we find the repercussions of that within forest management. So that's where I left off. And without further ado, here's the rest of our conversation. I think it's interesting. I think what, you know, what I'm getting out of what you're saying is that um, if we circle back to the positivity movement and positivity washing, it's like we're trying to manage the ecology of our emotions. Yeah. But the reality is that we, it's not something that should be controlled, right? It's something, right. and and I'm not, I, you know, I'm certainly not saying like you should just be, you know, you should just let your emotions run the show all the time. And you should be, you know, like whatever you're feeling, you should be like, you know, laughing out loud and cry, you know, like, we're, I'm not trying to say like lose control and be like super emotional and, and all of that. But what I, what I am saying is that we have these, you know, we, we create these boundaries around what's good to feel, what's bad to feel, how to manage. And they're really shaped by, you know, like you said, by our needs. So we live in this modern culture and the emotion, the way that we are taught emotional management serves a post-industrial revolution and knowledge working culture. It allows us to be obedient. It yes. allow, you know, it allows us to, even, even though we're shut down, no one cares if you're shut down. I mean, I care, you care. Mm-hmm. The person who's shut down probably would care if they knew they were shut down. But, <laughs> but capitalism but loves it. Capitalism loves it. And I, okay, so I, then this brings me to like one of my favorite topics, which is this shift that we've got towards external validation and drives me crazy. And yeah. also I'm totally like, I struggle with it myself because I we love We all data. do. We're, we're in the stew. Yeah. I love data, right? So like Fitbits and like sleep trackers and all these things that tell you all these things. I love that stuff because I'm totally, I like nerd out on that. I, it's very, very fun. I get it. It gamifies life. And I think it's incredibly dangerous because we now have these activity trackers that are telling us like, okay, 
you know, according to this activity tracker, you are well rested and you should work out really hard today. Or, you know, today you should feel tired or whatever. It's telling us how we feel and start, really start to pay attention to this in your life when you're talking to people. Notice how often people ask you or other people how they should be feeling or what they should be doing. People are not internally driven anymore. We have no internal guidance. And this is great for capitalism because when you have to have external guidance, external validation for your actions, when you have to be told how you feel, you can be sold anything. Mm -hmm. You can be directed. You're incredibly obedient, right? Like it's basically, I got a, I got a dog on a leash, you know, like I can, I can do whatever I want. Like I can sell you anything at this point because you know, you have no, I, I tell you how to feel about things. I can tell you feel bad about this. And so you need this thing that will make you feel better about it. I mean, not me in particular, but any company, right. Can, can sell you things. And it's, it terrifies me. It really terrifies me. And in these really, I mean, there's a lot of political uncertainty whatever, whatever you're, you know, it doesn't really matter what your thoughts and beliefs are. Like it's, it's all really chaotic right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and it scares me because I think if we're cultivating this culture of people who are just focused on external validation, we're setting ourselves up for some pretty horrific and heinous uh, political situations that I don't think many of us would be happy with, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So anyway, that's my soapbox. <laughs> well, no, I, and I, I think that that makes a ton of sense. And the, the one piece, and I'm not trying to positivity wash what you just said, but the one piece that I, you know, take from that is like, I mean, just learning how to show up as we are, just learning how to deal with our emotions, just learning how to be a little bit more present with ourselves is actually an act of rebellion against the systems that oppress us. The more that we can do that, the more that we can show up as we are, the more that we can be present and be internally validated and be internally regulated, the more that we're just naturally pushing back against these oppressive structures because we're not being dog leashed. And I think that this takes a big movement, you know, I think, uh, you know, all of that, but um, I think that there's actually some, some positivity within what you said, you know, it's like, well, we, we can learn to do these things. Our ancestors knew how to do these things. We can learn how to do them too. I, yeah. I totally agree. I think we do have the power, I think, and it's not even hard. It's free, in fact, right? Exactly. All it is is just being present and connected to yourself and anyone can mm-hmm. do this. It's, it's one of these things, there's the saying, it's simple, not easy. It's one of yep. those things. It's simple. It's not necessarily easy and it's not always very pleasant. Yeah. Um, I just, I'm just afraid, you know, because I think that the people who are showing up and doing that, um, I think there's a need. Mm-hmm. For one, I think that people are wanting this, but I don't think mm-hmm. it's, I don't think it's, well, I know it's not the majority at this point. It's not the majority at this point, but the more that it be, what I have found and the feedback that I've gotten from people when I am courageous enough to do this is that people are, are grateful. People say, thank you. This gives me the courage to do something like this. So I think that as we, as we start to do this more and more, um, we, we give permission to others too. So it, it's, it, you know, I would say it's grassroots at this point. Absolutely. Um, I want to shift a little bit and talk about something that uh, I want to talk about spiritual bypassing for a second. We've talked a lot about how, um, the positivity washing affects, um, 
kind of socially, and we've talked a, a little bit about it in the coaching movement. We can talk more specifically about that. Um, but I had a question from one of my uh, readers who wanted, you know, really wanted to hear about this. And so when I talk about spiritual bypassing, really what I'm talking about is using um, spiritual verbiage, spiritual language, spiritual theory to stay above, stay positive, stay outside of the realm of what's considered negative emotion, difficult things in the world, anything shadow related, any darkness. And so it, an example of um, spiritual bypassing would be something like um, someone comes to you with a traumatic event and the spiritual person says something like, well, everything happens for a reason. Right. And so they they turn it's it's a form of positivity washing. It's and really, I think what what's happening when we spiritually bypass is that we're not actually in the wisdom of whatever spiritual um, uh, practice we're, we're actually trying to practice. We're not actually in the wisdom, meaning that our spiritual practice is not actually um, helping us become more aware and more compassionate. Our spiritual practice um, is feeding our ego, and we are using a sense of spiritual superiority to feel better about ourselves and our position. And so when we spiritually bypass, we're effectively making ourselves stay comfortable at the detriment of the person who's in front of us. So we are bypassing their pain because we're just too spiritual to feel it. Which it's is actually, oh, yeah. sorry. No. Which is complete bullshit. That was all I was going to say. So. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think, you know, I, I'm going to circle back around to the example of the horse. It's, not, it's the same kind of thing, right? This horse yep. is having a tantrum and I'm like, you stand still. You're making me really uncomfortable right now because mm -hmm. you're really big and you're making a lot of big movements and I'm really scared. Um, and so I need, I really need you to shut this down and uh -huh. stop feeling this. Right. And I... Um, I mean, and, and I'm, I'm using the horse as the example of like the emotional body of the person who's had right. a traumatic experience. And right? I think that, I think that part of the problem is that in a lot of spiritual, like particularly pop spirituality, where we're taking concepts from wisdom traditions and kind of bastardizing them into something that kind of sounds more fun, which is something that us colonizers love to do. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but there's, there's in, in a lot of wisdom traditions, there is a an emphasis on moving kind of up the chakra system, kind of up and out, becoming more evolved, more detached from human world, more detached from the mundane. Now, if you actually look at the nuance of this, if you actually study the wisdom traditions, they are not talking about bypassing. They're talking about becoming really well adept at emotional regulation and emotional responsibility so that you are less triggered and can maintain a more peaceful mind more of the time. In many of these wisdom traditions, they're also talking about isolating yourselves from all of the world's problems so that you can just focus on this, which we do not have the privilege of doing. Right. So when you bastardize this idea that we need to stay at like a higher consciousness level and we're not actually working with or looking toward the issues that affect humans and communities that are difficult to look at, kids being held in cages at the border, 
you know, like things that are difficult to look at. A lot of sensitive and spiritual people will just turn away and say something like it's all God's plan or some bullshit thing, right? That is really about making yourself stay comfortable while the world and people less fortunate are in discomfort. This is spiritual bypassing at its finest. Um, And so really, you know, what wisdom traditions teach is we need to stay. We're never getting out of our lower chakras. And if we're never getting out of the the, um, areas of our life that deal with people, that deal with relationships, that deal with money, you know, if we if we need to pay bills, we always have to deal with money, right? So we're never getting out of that, but we are growing in those arenas. We are becoming more adept at them so that they take up less of our psychic energy, if that makes sense. That's, that's the actual goal of those wisdom traditions, but they become bastardized in this um, positivity washing. And then we end up with a lot of quote unquote healers doing nothing for social justice, doing nothing for environmental um, issues and perpetuating trauma in the people who seek them out. That's my soapbox. (laughs) I think it's, I think it's a really good one. And I think tying into that, you know, there's uh, the, the hundred percent personal responsibility aspect of of the positivity movement where um, the, you know, it's, it makes it easy to turn away from difficult situations when you believe that a person's results are 100% their responsibility. And, you know, I mean, uh, it's an extreme example, but I think it, it's, it's a good one. It's like, do you really think that all of the Jewish people who suffered, you know, were killed, who were murdered during the Holocaust? Do you really think that they were responsible for that? Do you really think that it was the decisions that they made in their life that got them on a train to Auschwitz. Like, I, right. I just don't, I just, I just can't see that. And so, you know, I think, you know, I am not, I really want to be clear that I'm not saying that we shouldn't take responsibility for our actions and our emotions because I absolutely believe that. And like, that's a huge value in my life. I do take a lot of responsibility for my own actions and my own feelings. Um, and it's a journey, right? I'm like, I, sometimes I'm better at it than others, but, but, um, but I think that we have to acknowledge that your actions can only have an effect in, in concert with your circumstances, right? So, exactly. so if you are held in a concentration camp, your actions are limited. The actions you are able to take are limited, right? And so, yeah, and, and I'm not, we're, sorry, we're, we're not no. in those extreme circumstances right now. Like, you know, you and I, and, and mo- most people, most people, mm-hmm. it still happens, right? Like kids and kids, mm-hmm. but but most people are not in that level of extremity. But I think that using that extreme example makes it really clear. There are circumstances in your life. The fact that you need money is a circumstance. Like we just do, we have to have it. It's a fact of life. I mean, unless you're going to go be a Buddhist monk, I don't think they need money. I'm not sure though. I haven't looked into it, but, <laughs> but like you got it. You got to eat, right? You might not need a lot of money, but you need some money because that's how things happen in life. Um, you know, the, the fact that you live in a body, like a body has biological needs that, that you know, we live in a, a, a system that has a government, like all of these things impact your life. And yes, you have a lot of control, but you don't have a hundred percent control over anything other than your, your actions and your emotions. Um, and so the things that you do can only be as effective as your circumstances allow. 
Absolutely. And this is where I also get frustrated um, in the spiritual community, which is, you know, what I'm part of with healers who are spreading spiritual ideas, but are not trying to change the culture they live in because we can't have, you know, this, we can't, we can't heal the planet if we don't heal the culture that we're in. And so spiritual bypassing the atrocities of our culture and the systems that oppress us because we're oh so evolved is completely counterproductive to what we say we're trying to do, which is create healing and create, you know, greater levels of, of consciousness and things like that. And, and it, you know, and again, it's that thing of getting out of the, the lower chakras, getting out of the mundane um, because they're messy. You know, these problems that we're talking about, they're messy problems. They're big, systemic, ugly, ugly problems. They're the shadows of our culture. And if, you know, in the positivity movement, if we're not allowed to address our own shadows, our personal shadows, how are we ever going to address our cultural shadows? And so that's, I think that's one of my biggest qualms with the positivity washing is that no real change comes of it. You know, people who are at the top, people who have the privilege of being positive all the time, you know, think about that. If you have the privilege of actually putting your energy and effort into being positive all the time, chances are you're doing okay in life. Mm -hmm. Chances are you're not that worried about money. Chances are, you know, you got a lot of things taken care of you, you know, taken care for you. Mm -hmm. So what good are you doing? Wow, yeah, I just I, got I just got like really negative about positivity right there, but <laughs> well, and I think I mean I think but I think it's a call to to action, right? It's a yeah. call to arms a little mm -hmm. bit, and and I and I have to like just to temper that a little bit. I I know there are people who are incredibly generous who are at the top of their game. I just who is it? The guy who started Home Depot. Someone was telling me yesterday that he's giving away like a bunch of you know like several billion dollars or something to charities. Mm -hmm. Like most of his wealth, he's giving to charities which is fantastic. I mean, and what privilege to be at a level where you can do that, right? You know, like a lot, there, there are a lot of people, I'm, I'm not among them, you're not among them, but there are a lot of people for whom $5 would be, you know, like really hard to give to charity. And so right. when you're, you know, when your circumstances are that limiting, yes, you have a lot of control. There's a lot of things you can do. There's a lot of ways you can show up. And a lot of people don't, you know, I'm going to, I will say this, um, this is something that comes up in coaching a lot is like, you know, people do, they waste their time and they don't do the things and they, they avoid them because they're hard. They are hard to do. It is hard to take responsibility and hard to change your, it is hard to act upon your circumstances mm -hmm. and to change them. So I get it. But also we have to acknowledge that sometimes there's limited time. There's limited energy. If you're, I don't know, a single mom living in I don't know, the Appalachian mountains or something. I have no idea. You know, like your resources are different than um, a, a married person who has no children living in LA or so. it's just a different thing, right? Like, exactly. Your circumstances have to be taken into account. I think that was one of the, you know, the best things that my um, Ayurvedic medicine um, practitioner mentor taught me, you know, she kind of said, you're going to throw a lot at clients. You're going to throw a lot of things at them to, you know, to help them change their health. And your job is not to get them to do all the things. Your job is to love your clients. Your job is to understand them, understand their circumstances and help make the, the changes that they can commit to, you know, and that I think has been one of the best pieces of advice for, you know, all of the 
um, counseling that I do. It's like, you know, when I sit down with someone, I, I find that compassion. I love that client and they're not doing the work. We, we look at that. Okay. Yeah. What's getting in your way? What circumstances? You know, I had a client recently who went through a big move. She wasn't able to do her homework. I understand moving sucks, you know? So, okay, let's postpone the work a little bit. Let's wait till things have calmed down, then get back on my calendar. Mm-hmm. You know? makes a yeah. lot more sense than trying to push, push, push past your burnout, burnout point. Yeah. But we're told to just be doing all the things all of the time. Yeah. Especially women. Mm-hmm. Don't throw that one out there. Mm-hmm. So what can we do? We've thrown, you know, <laughs> a lot of doom and gloom. You know, Everyone's all depressed now. Everyone's like, oh, it's a whole place. I'm going to sink through my negativity. Positivity doesn't work. Oh, I'm going to throw my, you know, my gratitude journal. And there are, right, but there are like things like real gratitude journey where you're actually feeling gratitude are helpful for, you know, improving, you know, emotions and mood. I, I have to jump in on my little soapbox here. Because Please do. <laughs> so I get gratitude journaling. What bothers me about it is how much people tell people to gratitude journal because it's not the journaling that's important. It's the gratitude. It's the feeling. It's It's the the feeling feeling of gratitude, not the thinking about it. And yes. And so everyone's in their, everyone's in their heads. Um, (laughs) You can tell this is a big stuff box for me. um, So everyone's like, if you just keep a gratitude journal, you're going to feel better. It's going to, you know, it it does train your brain to focus on things you're grateful for more. So it can be really helpful. I'm not saying gratitude journaling is useless, but the thing is that people are doing it and they're just going through the motions. They're not actually Mm -hmm. feeling the gratitude. I saw a study. I don't know where I just came across at some point where it was Mm -hmm. like, they, they looked at people who did gratitude journaling and it was actually found to be more effective if people only did it. I think it was like once or twice a week rather than every single day. Because if you do it every single day, it just becomes a habit that you do mindlessly, like turning off the stove or locking your door. How many times have you left the house? You're like, did I leave the stove on? You know, or like, did I lock the door? Because you do it without thinking. You're not present with it, right? So it's being present and connected to the gratitude that's important. Not the journaling. And you can do that. You, you know, a journal is a tool to help you be present and connected to the gratitude. But if you're just journaling because people tell you to journal, it's not going to work. And there's a lot of ways to be grateful and to be present and connected to that gratitude without necessarily journaling. So it's one method. It's not the only method. Yes. Yes. And I, I totally agree with you. It's about the presence, like you were saying earlier, and we're not taught to be present. I've had this happen so many times when I've suggested gratitude journaling. They're like, I'm doing it. I'm like, yeah, but are you doing it? Like, I see that you're writing things down and we have to, and, and I find that people often we're not taught how to access presence, yeah. you know, or it becomes something that we're afraid of because when we really get present, we become present to everything that's there or we so have the potential for that. Here's the, the thing you were saying, you know, what can we do? And this is the biggest thing mm-hmm. for me is to, uh, to, to cultivate a connection and relationship with self. And that includes your body. And in our culture, as we've, you know, we've talked about it kind of on and off throughout this whole conversation, but in our culture, we are incredibly dissociated from our bodies for a number of reasons. There's a lot of puritanical conditioning that, that is the foundation for that. There's, and there's a really great book, actually, if anyone's interested, called um, Intelligence in the Flesh by Guy Claxton. And he opens the book by talking about this mind-body split. I love that book. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But anyway, we, we're not connected. We're not relating to our bodies. It's this inconvenient, smelly thing that hurts sometimes and holds us back. And, and here's the thing is that we do a lot of, you know, talking about emotions and this is really common in talk therapy as well, where people will talk a lot about emotions, but they're not actually experiencing emotions. They're thinking about exactly. emotions, they're intellectualizing them. So one of the biggest tools that I see, like if, if I could get people to do nothing else, if I could teach nothing else for the rest of my life, it would be to get people to feel sensations in their bodies, not just pain, because we're really good at feeling pain and then we're really good at being numb. Mm -hmm. Those are the two options that we're presented mm -hmm. with. Basically, you go to the doctor, they're like, you know, what are you feeling? Oh, I have pain. Give me this linear scale, one to 10, where, you know, there's no conversation of like, let's describe that pain. Let's explore that pain. Like, how deep is it? What color is it? How does it have weight? You know, does it feel good or bad? I mean, pain can actually feel good sometimes, you know? Mm -hmm. um, is it dull? Is it sharp? Is it, you know, obtuse? I don't know. There's lots of ways we can describe these things, but there's also sensations that are not pain. You know, can you feel the texture of the floor under your feet? Can you connect to that feeling? Not just like intellectually, oh yeah, I feel it. Um, when people come to me for posture and movement therapy, I ask them what, you know, what are you experiencing in your body right now? I have various versions of these questions. What, do you, what are you noticing? What has your attention right now? It's always pain that has people's attention. 99% of the time, I'll say there are people who are more connected, but 99% of the time it's something that's hurting or nothing, or they'll start telling me a story and intellectualize. Yeah. So like, well, sometimes I notice that um, my Pilates teacher says I should, mm. um, my yoga teacher told me to, mm -hmm. um, I know I should stand more like this. Mm -hmm. I know I should hold my body this way. I know my shoulders are round, you know, like I know, mm -hmm. I know, I think, I think someone told me it's all in your head. It's not like mm -hmm. what's actually going on in your body right mm -hmm. now. No judgment, no attachment to it. Just can you be present with it? Exactly. And I'm going to throw this out there, particularly for women. This isn't an exercise to try and love your body. This is not necessarily about loving your body. If you happen to love your body, great. But this is an exercise in noticing and just being present in what's there. Such a good point. Yeah, because we're so often taught. I know that um, when I first started doing this, I would immediately get into the story about what I didn't like and how I should be loving those things because this is this message that women get. And try not to let that distract you from getting present with what is, you know, no matter what is there. Yeah. And this is, and I will say, this is a skill. Mm -hmm. Anyone, it's not magic. Mm -mm. You know, but anyone can develop it. However, however old you are is how many years you've probably spent not feeling your body or, or creating stories about what you're feeling, you know, that you should mm -hmm. or shouldn't be feeling it or that it's good or bad, you know, creating mm -hmm. all these ideas around it, or dismissing the information. So the, another common thing that I'll have people say is I'll say, you know, we'll do a little bit, we'll have this conversation, we'll do a little bit of work and I'll say, what's going, you know, what's, how, how are things feeling now? And people are like, oh, it's about the same, you know, or, the, or they'll give me some indication that something's changed a little bit, but, but I still feeling, but you know, this other, and they'll kind of, they'll either move their attention to another part of their body where they're feeling discomfort, or they'll be like, it's about the same, even though they're giving me signals that things have changed. And, and so we, we have a tendency to really dismiss information because we decide it's not important. Mm -hmm. and this isn't about whether or not something's important. It might not be important. Mm -hmm. It's just about noticing. Mm 
Mm-hmm. This is so true about intuition as well. You know, and I teach people intuition happens in your body. It's not called out tuition. You have to be in your body. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> you have intuition. <laughs> yeah. We do that too with intuition because we dismiss things and we do that with our body. Absolutely. You know, and then the thing that I would add on that is like, you know, once we become comfortable just noticing sensation, we can start to then notice the sensation of our emotions. Yes. And notice where they sit in our body and notice what they feel like in our body and have the experience of emotions in our bodies, um, yeah, which is because, important think, for moving them. I think it's important to note that um, because we, we have the word in English feelings. And so it's, it's really important to distinguish that there are feelings that are emotions and then there are feelings that are sensations, right? Yes. And so, and, and so emotional feelings have sensations. So love has a sensation in your body. That's how you know you're feeling it. Right. Fear has a sensation in your body. Like you feel them physically. You feel emotions physically. Sensations can have emotions, but don't always have emotions. And so it's important to distinguish between the two. And then what you're saying is really important is that you can start to notice the physical sensation of your emotions. And that's where you can start to process emotions that have been stored in your body that you maybe didn't process because you were told you shouldn't feel them or because your, you know, because your stress response got interrupted. That's really, really common. It's the tantrum thing, right? Don't mm-hmm. stop during a tantrum. Um, Mm-hmm. stop feeling what you're feeling right now. But it also happens from other things like um, a lot of children in medical scenarios will um, have trauma from, you know, they're stressed, they're incredibly stressed, they're being taken away from their caregivers, they don't feel good. And, you know, the doctors are trying to, to you know, legitimately help the child, but they sort of erroneously, well, not erroneously, but like it's, it's well-intentioned, but damaging um, as they'll put the child under anesthesia in the middle of a stress response um, because it makes them, behave, right? Like now you're not, right. I, right. I, I can set your broken leg, which is what they mm-hmm. need to do. Like I, I get it. I'm not blaming the doctors, but, um, but it interrupts that stress response. And so we can have that sort of like, we still have that fear and that anger or whatever emotion was related to that, um, that fight, basically that fight response or the flight response um, is still stuck in your body. Right. So, and you know, what I remember reading in Candace Pert's book was about how, you know, emotions are kind of sticky. So if you start feeling fear that's present now, it can actually help kind of pull out that stuff from the past as well. Um, right. Yeah. So, so your, what you're talking about is working at the biological level, which doesn't mm-hmm. understand time. Is, mm-hmm. and this is based on my, this is my philosophy that I have from, you know, built on the shoulders of giants from, from many years of experience right. from reading lots of stuff. But what I have noticed is that biology doesn't understand time. So if you bring up that fear and that can be stimulated through paying attention to sensation in your body, it can be stimulated through body work, yoga, movement, meditation. There's lots of ways that these can become activated. It can, it can just be happening every day. Even um, it can just be an experience that you're having your biology doesn't know that it's in the present moment. Your biology believes that whatever was threatening you at the time that that emotion initiated is still happening right now. It's like a little time travel. It's like a piece of you that's, you know, time traveling. Yep. Um, And so say, for example, you broke your leg when you were three and you went to the hospital and you got put under anesthesia in the middle of like a really big tantrum 
that tantrum is stuck in your nervous system and you start doing, I don't know, say yoga, and you start moving areas of your body that have become physically frozen because that's another piece of it is muscle armoring. So you tense up and you guard against that feeling because you have to control yourself because life, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and as you start to move that frozen piece of you, you start to feel all of this like fear, panic, anxiety, whatever comes up. That is three-year-old you. Yes. You know, and you're going to be responding at the level of a three-year-old. Yeah. There's a great book that can help with this. It's called Healing Through the Dark Emotions and um, by Miriam Greenspan. And she talks about how emotions live in the body. And she gives a lot of presencing exercises for working through those emotions in your body. So it's a great resource to have on hand. We read it last year in my... Um, in my membership group. And it was, I just love to have it as a resource. So if I get stuck, if I get stuck for several weeks with an emotion, I pull that book out and I help, you know, it helps me kind of remember the steps um, of um, getting present, staying with an emotion. She has you do things like validate the importance of the emotion, even if it's a difficult one, so that, so that you're more likely to stay with it when things get tough, you know, things like that. So you kind of, you kind of set yourself up, um, for success and then you stay with that emotion. Um, and she has lots of different ways that you can, you can do that. That's a great resource. And I think that this can lead into, um, you know, the ways that we, relate to each other. You know, Heather Plett's work around holding space, I think is really important. The concept of holding space is it basically the ability to be with someone having an emotional experience um, without you trying to judge them, heal them, help them, or give advice in any way. So you're basically there to just... <laughs> hold space to let them have their emotion. Mm -hmm. And we can really only do this at the capacity that we are comfortable with our own emotions. Because if we, you know, go back to that, you know, my family telling me to calm down, they're not comfortable with that level of emotion in themselves. And so they're not comfortable with me expressing that level of emotion. And so the more that we can um, work with ourselves, work with sensation in our body, be with our own emotion, have permission to feel what's going on for us, the more able we might be to then have these beautiful connection points with others where we're just holding space for someone. We're not fixing them. We're not <laughs> judging them. We're not giving them advice or sharing stories. We're just letting them go through their tantrum. You know, this is such great work for parents. Um, I, I, I got this, um, I bought this thing called a time-in corner for my son that's about emotional intelligence. It's to teach kids how to identify their emotions and to um, work with them, basically. And it's great for adults. But one of the caveats to using something like this and to doing this work with your kids, I imagine similar to horses, right, is you have to be able to do this for yourself. You have to be able to, you know, be okay with your own anger. 
you know, and to be, be, you know, we've kind of used the word responsible in a negative way, but you have to be responsible for dealing with your own anger, your own tantrums in healthy ways that, that models for your kids, healthy ways for dealing with. Yeah. And I, I think it's, I think it's even more than just um, dealing with it. It's just being able to feel it is really important. Yes. And um, that's really what I mean. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. Um, and to feel it without judgment. But one of the things, again, I, I just, I want to buy everyone a horse. I just think that like, <laughs> when are you going to start doing horse therapy? Like, would you please open that up? It is so, <sighs> it is so high on my list. I know it is like right at the top of my list. Um, yeah, no, I, it's, yeah, you're right. Anyway, <laughs> everyone, everyone listening to this podcast, email me and tell me you want to come do horse therapy with me. Um, uh-huh. but one of the things that, you know, we talk about with the horses is, you know, if you're not able to calm your mind and be present and like, and, and not necessarily even calm, but be present. If you're not able to be present and connected and like attentive to what's happening now, whatever is going on with you, it's not going to get better with a thousand pounds of flight animal on the end of a rope, you know? So when you take that rope and that horse is like, you know, like flying a kite because they're freaking out you're not going to be like, and now I will be Zen. (laughs) (laughs) You're going to be like, oh my gosh. So you practice these tools before you need them. In your case, it sounds like you practice this tool before you have to be with the two-year-old and, you know, and holding space for the two-year-old. So you you practice holding space for yourself. Yes. It's like your own oxygen. It's the cliche, your own oxygen mask first, right? Mm -hmm. And then you can hold space for other people. And one thing I do want to, to call attention to here, because um, I think this is the shadow side of holding space for other people, mm-hmm. is that you, you have permission not to hold space for somebody who isn't doing their own work. Oh my gosh. Yes, you do. You, you basically, you have the, the right to set a boundary. And yeah. you always have the right to set a boundary, right? But just because we're saying that, you know, setting spaces, you know, or holding space rather is a good thing. Um, if somebody is not doing their work, not, um, yeah, is not doing their own work, you don't have to be the um, field in which they spew all of their emotional sewage. Yeah. You do not have to be their regulator, their emotional regulator, their That's neural a better regulator. way. That's a better way to say it <laughs> than I did. Yes. Neural, neural regulator. Yes. You know, because, okay, so here's a, here's a biological fact. Nervous systems in train. Yes. So the strongest nervous system wins out. So if you do a lot of work and a lot of presencing with yourself, you will have a very well-regulated nervous system, which means it doesn't mean that you're always Zen. It means that you can get knocked off kilter and you can freak out and have your tantrum or whatever you're allowed. And you can come back to homeostasis you're not getting stuck in tantrum mode and you're also not getting stuck in lethargy, which you might go to. You might have days where you're like, I am burned out. I got nothing to offer. I am exhausted. I want to lay in bed and binge Netflix and like whatever. Um, those, those days are normal. It's normal to have both of those extremes. It's Mm -hmm. also, it's not normal to get stuck in either one of them. So that is a well-regulated nervous system is one that can go into either one or the other and come back to center. Um, if your nervous system is strong and extremely well-regulated, then other people will entrain to your 
nervous system, like you will hold space, but you still lose a little bit to them yes. is what I've noticed. Yes. So you lose a little, and it's like a little energy leak. It's what they talk, in my opinion, it's a lot of what they talk about with like energy vampires, you know, they're, mm-hmm. they're, they're using you to regulate their own nervous system. You know, and, some, and sometimes I got, I got to go on, but yeah, keep going. there's some, sometimes that's okay. Like it's okay mm-hmm. when you're in a friendship or romantic relationship, even with your family, whatever, it is okay to hold space and let somebody lean on your stronger nervous system when things aren't good for a while. Yes. But if they are not ever stepping up and doing the work, if they are never taking the, the responsibility for their own health, you know, if they're not making steps and it might be millimeters, that's fine. But if they're not making steps, if it's just you holding their nervous system together, that's, that's a boundary issue. That's not okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, you know, the, the, another way that I'll relate this is that, you know, toddlers, little kids, they don't have the capacity to well regulate their nervous systems by themselves. Their nervous systems need to be co-regulated. So that's something that, you know, I've learned in the science around um, nervous systems. And so part of what, you know, when they throw a tantrum, um, part of what they're looking for is a nervous system from which to regulate. So if you are, um, as a parent or, you know, a caregiver standing by calmly letting them have their tantrum, eventually, like you said, their system's going to come back to normal and it's going to find yours to regulate with. And one, way, one place that I've really noticed this is um, in transition times with my son. So, for example, at bedtime, my son kind of likes to go all out all the time. And so bedtime, you know, we do this kind of long wind down period. And then when it's time for bed, I lay in his bed and I just close my eyes and go to sleep. Um, I don't fall asleep there, but that's basically what I'm doing. And I find that that is more effective than anything else I could do to try to get him to sleep because what he really needs is someone's nervous system who is, which is down regulating towards rest. And then he just rests. Yeah. And I think it's really important to point out how many of us have dysregulation in our own nervous systems because we didn't have this kind of um, support, this neural support. Like, you know, our nervous systems learned how to be from our caregivers, whether that was a parent or, you know, caregivers come in all shapes and, and forms. But, you know, most of our parents didn't have good, of course, you know, good bringing up around neural regulation and you know, if you, I mean, what lineage doesn't have trauma, but if you come from a lineage that has a lot of trauma in it, that too will affect nervous systems down through the generations. And so, you know, um, it's, I think it's helpful, at least for me to recognize that a lot of us didn't have this, not in a blaming way, yes, um, because our parents did the best they could to recognize that, but also how cool that we have the opportunity to, opportunity to become aware of this and what's happening and to to heal this piece for the next generation. Yeah, to choose something different. And I mean, I, I think that for um, the last couple of generations, at least, um, the main form of parenting that was promoted was that authoritarian parenting style, mm-hmm. right? To get kids to behave. Um, and that's, that's what was promoted, right? That was how you were a good parent yeah. at that time. And so, yes, I, I totally agree in that our parents were doing the best that they could with the information they were given. And now we have better information mm-hmm. uh, and we can make that choice. And I, you know, I remember when I put the, 
the time in corner, also called the calming corner. And, you know, my, my husband's actually on the journey now of learning how to be responsible for his emotions, basically how to feel them, how to let them move, how to deal with his triggers and not um, always be trying to lean on my nervous system. And he was like, oh, this is going to be great for me. You know, this calm corner is going to be great for me, Mm -hmm. um, you know, to help him. So it's been this really great thing in in the house where, you know, one of us is upset. We go to the calm corner and my son gets to learn how we deal with our emotions. And I love that. It's been really, really helpful. Um, I'll put a link to all of this, this stuff. Yeah, definitely have. We've talked about a lot of really good resources. I'd love to have links to all of them as well, but, Mm um, I, you know, I think it's important too to note that women often are the regulators because culturally, as we talked about earlier, women um, are, have more permission to be emotional yes. in our culture, which comes with its own bag, you know, like it's not necessarily better or worse because, um, you know, there's a lot of judgment around women are too emotional or women are weak right. because they're emotional or, you know, anyway, so there's all that. But because women are allowed to feel emotions, whereas little boys are often taught not to, I think it's not uncommon for women to, um, you know, we learn how to either shut down or not feel or numb our own, you know, how do we find a management style with yes. that works within the culture for our own emotions. Whereas often, and I mean, these are generalities, right? Like there's going to be nuances and there's going to be differences all over the place. So don't take it as gospel, but um, often, uh, you know, men who have not been allowed to feel emotions, they don't know how to deal with them at all. They don't know how to numb or control or manage them or anything. And so when you get into a partnership where you have a man and a woman, um, you know, it's just a theme I've noticed with my friends that a lot of time the woman becomes the the regulator because by default because we've had to figure out what to do with our own feelings and so we can kind of help the guy figure out what to do with his feelings too so i really like this um, strategy where you're involving the whole family in like learning about emotions and developing um like a little mini culture within your Mm -hmm. own your own little group your own family group of like this is this is healthy emotions this is we're all expressing you know we're all like they happen like acknowledging yeah. that they happen is just like that. Yeah, just acknowledging that they happen yeah. you know and, and, and it's fun it's kind of fun now cuz my you know my son will ask mommy are you mad now and i can say yeah i'm a little angry you know i'm angry i'm feeling mad i'm feeling mad because of this and so here's going to be my strategy and he can watch me do that, you know, instead of just stuffing it down as I kind of learned to do. Um, and I want to talk really quick about triggers because I think that we can't really have a full emotional conversation without the conversation around triggers. And we've really kind of already addressed them. Like what you said about feeling sensation in the body when you, you know, tap into that fear of the three-year-old who got put under anesthesia. You're, you're releasing a trigger, basically. You're in that fear of the three-year-old. You're being triggered back to that state. So I think that that's important to recognize. When we get triggered, when somebody says something that triggers us and kind of revs up the nervous system, we have a strong emotional response. By definition, we are probably in the past. If we have a trigger that is like coming up time after time again, you know, again, again, and again over the kind of same pattern, that means something happened in the past that we haven't processed. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and I, I want to jump in there and just say that it's not necessarily your brain either that's in the past. Right. It's, it's that, you know, what I was talking about with like the three year old you, right? So exactly. 
in the past and it's stored in your biology. Yes. You know? And there may be a thought that's associated with that bio biological response, but it's not necessarily like, oh, you just need to bring your thoughts to the present. Like there's a thing happening beneath, you know, there, there basically it's important to understand that there are areas of your brain that not only don't speak English, they don't even know language exists. Right. So this is why the positivity washing thing, another reason it can be so dangerous is because you're ignoring all of, you know, all of these parts of you, they don't have anywhere to express because you're just like, nope, I'm just going to think happy thoughts. It's all good. I'm not going to, I'm not going to acknowledge any of these triggers. Um, so it's, it's not necessarily just that your thoughts are in the past or in the future, you know, depression, they say depression's in the past, anxiety's in the future, whatever. Um, it's, it's that something is stored neurally, something is stored physiologically, you have, yes. you know, neuropeptides that are in your um, bloodstream mm -hmm. that are getting released. Something is going on that is not just, oh, I thought about that time when I was a kid and, you know. Yes. Thank you for clarifying that because the ch chances are you're not going to know that. You're just going to know that you're triggered. You're just going to have a strong emotional response. And really your job is to feel it. Mm -hmm. It's to feel it. It's to feel it and let it run its course. Let it run its course through you. Let your body, sometimes, you know, I know in somatic experiencing, your body wants to move in certain ways. The sensation is like, oh, I want to... I want to stretch my arms. I want to, you know, do this thing. I need to, and, and so letting yourself do that, letting your body go through the motions it would have done had you not become shut down in the past mm -hmm. is important for letting, um, letting that, that trigger work out. And the other piece of this is to feel it and not attach a story to it. Exactly. Because so, the story keeps us somewhere else. Yeah. And so it might be, it's a bit, and this is a skill, I think somatic experiencing, I have a level one training in that and mm -hmm. I love the work. Um, I think that, um, it can be a really powerful tool to have somebody who is educated in that. And they're not necessarily all therapists. So I'm a body worker and I have this trauma healing training. So it's not, you don't necessarily have to go to talk therapy. There's lots of ways into this, but having someone facilitate this can be really helpful because it's very easy, um, especially when you're developing these skills to kind of create a story about what's going on and to not, you know, every time you create that story, you're kind of, there may be thoughts that come up, but when you attach to them, Yes. Then, then you attach meaning to them. That takes you outside the experience. And so you, you're still not fully processing the, the, um, the stored trauma or stored trigger. Um, and the other thing I want to say, uh, this comes from somatic experiencing as well, is that you really want to avoid catharsis. So uh, some Explain. modalities, yeah, some modalities are really all about like these big explosive releases, you know, like, mm. oh, I had this, I had this release and I was crying and wow, you know, and and I mean, sometimes those can be very relieving, but the thing is you can actually get addicted to catharsis and it doesn't necessarily always heal those rifts. And so from uh, the, the somatic experiencing perspective, what you want to do is like barely touch the trauma. You want to, it's like you want to approach it and then back away. You like, know? of course. <laughs> it's, seriously, there is so much that is like, this is, this is wild horse gentling 101. Yes. Approach, watch for the stress indicator back away. Uh -huh. <laughs> and this is how you, I mean, imagine like pretend that your body is a wild animal. Like really, this is, you know, this is what we're doing is your body is a wild animal. It doesn't speak English. You approach it, you notice it's stressed, back away, give it some space, let it, whew, let it calm down a little bit, approach again. And the way that we do that in the body is through sensation, you know, the, the, the yeah. sensation of the emotion. 
You know, I love that. I work with a, a therapist who's a somatic experiencing practitioner. And even though I'm really trying to stay with sensation, so natural to develop a story. And she's so great at gently being back. Hey, let's go back to that sensation. You know, let's stick with that sensation. That's a lovely story. Let's go back to that sensation. Right. And so when I was saying earlier about the horse on the rope, you know, and like yeah. the boundary was you can go as far as the rope is long and you hit the end of the rope. I'm going to call, I'm going to bring you back and bring your attention back to me. That's what we're doing. That's mm -hmm. exactly what we're doing with the body. It's like your story is, is going to the end of the rope. Okay. You hit the end of the rope. We're going to come back to that sensation. Mm -hmm. And then you're going to get distracted. And, and that's natural. Like I'm not saying. Yeah. That's the nature of the mind. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So you're going you're gonna to get distracted again. You're going to have mm -hmm. another thought. And you're going to follow that. But when you hit the end of that rope, and that's why a practitioner can be helpful is because they put the rope there. Yep. It's hard to do that for yourself, particularly when you're learning. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, I found it to be really helpful. Like there are some things I can do for myself, um, you know, the orienting activity I can do fairly well, but it's so nice to have somebody, yeah, telling me where the edge of my rope is, <laughs> which is really great. Yeah, and I'm going to start. This is hilarious, like to me, probably not to anyone else, but one of the things we use to so have a rope and then you have like a flag on the end of a stick that's, I don't know, about two and a half feet long that mm -hmm. you use to kind of direct the horse, right? To get their attention. I seriously am like, I just need to bring a flag to work and my clients be like, you know, like look over here. <laughs> I, so I have this image of, you know, flagging my clients. I don't think that would go over too well, but it's hilarious to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, when you start doing the horse therapy, it'll be, uh, it'll be, we'll all have it'll those. Natural. It'll be yeah. natural. Oh my gosh. Everyone's going to be walking around with flags. That's going to be the thing. Like, yeah. You're going to see people in the city walking around with these flags. Yeah. You know, it's, it's all, it all comes back <laughs> to me. Uh, well, you know, I hope that what we've talked about in terms of action steps is clear because, you know, really you know, what we're talking about is coming back to our heathenistic ways of uh, sensation, noticing our own, noticing sensation, noticing our inner microcosm and allowing what is there to be there. You know, so there's so much permission in this work. And I think that, or what I found is that the more that I do this type of work, the easier it is for me to show up and as I am, and allow others to show up as they are, you know? And again, that's different than having no boundaries and doing everyone's emotional labor. That's, that's different. Um, but, you know, to, to have someone, you know, my mom says this all the time. My, my grandma's really sick right now. My mom's, you know, crying. She's just apologizing. I'm like, your crying does not bother me. You know, I have to remind her, like, I am perfectly okay with you crying. You can cry as much as you want to in front of me. You know, she clearly has a, a hang up around it. But anyway, it allows, the more that I do this work, the more that I'm able to show up as me, you know, um, in all kinds of spaces and to allow other people to show up as them. And that's what starts to change the culture that we're in, I think. I agree. I yeah. completely agree. I feel like this is, you know, this is where we can um, affect the future, you know, exactly in an incredibly positive way. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Any last words about this? We've spoken for about two hours now. 
Yeah. Do we have anything else to say on this subject? I feel like we could go on all day about this. We could teach courses and do workshops and write books about this. I think, um, no, I, I just, I think that my only, um, last words about this is that this is a process and not an event. This is. Yes. Oh God. I love that. This is event. It's not like, it's not like you pay attention to sensations in your body and like good, you're healed. And like, you know, it, it, the, the tools are basic, but Mm -hmm. the, the process is deep. So you don't actually need really like, you don't, it's, the tools are not hard, you know, they're, they're really simple. Anyone can learn them. And the application is rich and iterative Mm -hmm. and you will discover new layers and new depths and all kinds of interesting information as you go through it. But, um, it's like what they say about diets. It's a lifestyle. <laughs> like mm-hmm. like do, doing this stuff is, it changes the way you are in the world. It's not just about like, you know, um, it, it's kind of like you can't, I think about the gym analogy. It's not like going to the gym for an hour every day. It's like it becomes part of everything you do every day. Mm-hmm. It just becomes part of who you are. So mm-hmm. um, I think that's really important to know because people often ask questions like, well, how long will this take and how many sessions and when will I be fixed and when will I be healed? And um, yeah, unfortunately, this is a a, practice. It's it's a practice. Absolutely. It's like they say in yoga, practice makes practice. Yeah. Practice makes practice. And, and, and that to me, to me is like, it gives me, um, it is a, is a relief. Like, okay, I just keep practicing because honestly, you know, like you said, these tools are simple, but they're not necessarily easy. And I think part of what can make them feel a little difficult is that not everyone is doing this. Our culture, like we talked about perpetuates, you know, these concepts that we should not be doing this, right. Our whole cat, our whole system is based on not being present. So yeah. starting to be present it is, is an act of rebellion. It, I really think it is. And, you know, starting to be present, you will start to take up space in the world. Yes. You will start to, to own your own space. And I mean that within your body and also kind of your energy bubble. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you'll, it's an interesting feeling when you start to do that. Other people will react to you. They will have issues with that, with mm-hmm. you taking up space and owning your space and with you being okay, being you. People have a lot of issues, a lot of judgments about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and you'll, I think the other thing that you'll start to notice is all of the ways that we ostensibly check in, but really numb out. So um, you're a yoga teacher, so you'll appreciate this, but like a lot of, a lot of what is, you know, modern yoga practice is a really great way to check out, you know, and, yep. um, a lot of meditation practices. I think meditation is great, but you'll see meditations that are judgy, you know, judging your experience that are positivity washing that are, um, trying to get you out of your body. You know, the body is mm-hmm. base. We don't want you in that. That's lower. That's holding you down. We need you to- heathen. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. So, so you're going to start to notice all of the ways in which people, you know, are facilitating the ability to stay in their heads and in their stories rather than really integrating, you know, the, the entirety of their being, the mind, the body, the energy, which is all not connected. It's all one thing. It's, but that's another podcast we can do. <laughs> yes. We'll have another discussion. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
but yeah, it's, you know, it's really, I, I love the saying it's, it's a process, not an event process, not an event. I just say it to myself all the time, just one foot in front Mm -hmm. of the other. Mm -hmm. Um, And you're going to have days where it seems amazing and days where it does not. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, that's, that's really normal. So process and not an event. So just get started, get started in the process. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. I think we'll wrap it up there for today. Thank yeah. you so much for having this conversation on air with me, Suki. Thanks for having me. This has been amazing. I really enjoyed it. <laughs> awesome. Okay. Thanks again for listening to the show. All of the show notes, links, and references can be found at www.sensitivityuncensored.com. If you'd like to read more about high sensitivity or intuition, sign up for my mailing list, book an intuitive reading with me, or learn about my membership or school, please visit my website at www.sensitivityuncensored.com.